All right, you guys ready to continue on in Philippians? I'm going to begin chapter 4 today in our new series, Do Not Be Anxious, a four-week series. This first week, first message, um, I've titled it, Pray About Everything. Pray About Everything. And so before we get into that, I just want to say this. I, I am, I've got a really good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Chad Hayes from Minnesota. Uh, he's going to be here next Sunday preaching for us. He's going to be preaching week two of this series, uh, and so I just want to encourage you. I, I, I'm going out of town uh, on Friday morning, and so I, I, I did this last year, and I'm going to continue to do it each year as the Lord opens up the opportunity, but I, I like to go out at the, at the beginning of the year. It was really good for me last year to just get by myself in a cabin, a house somewhere in the woods with no internet, no phone service. And I can just seek the Lord for the, for, the, for the next year. So I just would ask that you pray for me. Pray, pray for me on uh, Friday and Saturday as I'm out there. And, um, and time is, is eking by. And it's not 100 miles an hour like it is when we're here. Uh, pray that the Lord would direct my heart, speak to my heart for this next year. But so, so while I'm going to be out there, my friend uh, from Minnesota is going to come in. I'll be here on Sunday, but he's going to be here. You don't want to miss. He's a great preacher. And you're, you're, you're going to be blessed to hear the word that he's going to bring. So we are starting a new series, Do Not Be Anxious. Do Not Be Anxious. And it's a four-part series. And it's really it's centered on chapter four, the last book, last chapter in the book of Philippians. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, he was chained to a Roman soldier uh, 24 hours a day uh, while he was writing this letter and some of his other pastoral epistles. And so... This, the context of, of what's going on in his life and the context of what's going on in the early church's life really helps us to, to, to think a little deeper about what we're going to read from the Apostle Paul in this section in, in Philippians 4. But just like the Apostle Paul had reasons to be anxious, all of us in our life, we walk in from time to time in anxiety-causing situations. How many of you, from time to time, have anxiety-causing situations that you face. Maybe all of us, right? How, how many of you right now are going through situations that are causing you anxiety in your life? Absolutely. Reasons to worry, reasons to be anxious. Raising kids causes anxiety. Working on your job from time to time causes anxiety, causes stress, worry, anxiety. And the Apostle Paul says some amazing things in this section in Philippians 4 that really seems to like, you, like you want to look at the Apostle Paul and say, what? How are you saying this? How can you say this? And so we all face anxiety-causing situations, and the enemy takes advantage, you know, of those situations. You know, we, we, we're not promised that we won't go through those types of situations as Christians, and we know that. So what happens is, is that whenever we go through difficulties and we go through trials, the enemy likes to take advantage of those situations and bring anxiety and worry in our life and, and causes us to, to go into our shell and to retreat and to run and to hide because we're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry. So let's, let, I just, just want to read something here in Philippians 4. This is a, kind of the first section. We're not really going to, going to really teach through these first couple of verses here. We're going to teach through the, the, the last two verses. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 through 5. He's telling this to the believers at Philippi while he's writing this, while he's chained to a Roman soldier. 
And he's writing this to believers that are part of the first church, the early church, that would have been under persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And listen to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Think about that for a second. When you're going through difficulties and you're going through circumstances that are causing you anxiety and worry, is it? do you really want somebody to come up to you and say, rejoice, brother, in the Lord, you just need to rejoice. Doesn't that, it kind of aggravate you a little bit, right? You're like, I know that. I know I need to rejoice. So think about what he's saying there. And when, when, when I read it with that broader context in mind of persecution, of trials, of, of the difficulties of the early church and the fact that they're going through those types of situations, for him to say rejoice in the Lord. And he says again, I will say rejoice. It makes you want to say, really? Rejoice? How can I rejoice? How can I have joy in my life when I'm going through difficult circumstances? And many of you here today, you've asked that question. How can I have joy in my life when this is happening? How can I have joy in my life when I've lost this or I've experienced this or whenever I've gone through this trial? How can I have joy? And sometimes when you hear messages that are, messages that are always so happy-go-lucky and, 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 and peaches and cream and everything's going to work out, it's like, it's like you don't want to hear that. Because that is not your reality. And it's difficult. And so the Apostle Paul rejoiced. And so the question would be, how? How? And then, and then, not only does he say rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. He then says this. Let's look at the text that we're going we're gonna to unpack and teach through here. He says this. Now, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And that would be the same type of question you'd ask the Apostle Paul. How? Can I not be anxious? This is a command he's giving from the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says, do not be anxious. The Lord, the Lord speaking through the Apostle Paul, through inspired scripture says to all of us, in our life, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. What does anything cover? Everything. Anything covers everything. So that means that the Lord is trying to tell us today, don't be worried about anything. You know, when we come down, we pray for people's prayer needs. That's one of the, the, the prayers that I pray over and over again because, because you're coming. The children of God, are, we're, we're coming down, we're praying because we're worried. Because we're anxious, because we're stressed out about situations that we face. But God's word tells us, don't be anxious about anything. And so my question to the Apostle Paul and to the Lord is, how can I not be anxious about everything that causes me stress and anxiety and worry? How can I do it? Well, the Apostle Paul and the Lord doesn't leave us without an answer. What does he say there? He says, in everything by prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then there's a promise after it. And he says the promise is, is, that, is that God will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that that peace will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how are we to fight anxiety in our life. Scripture says we're to fight it with prayer. We're to fight it with prayer. 
And then we're going to look at the promise, that God gives us a promise that if we will, if we will fight anxiety in our life with prayer, that there is a promise that God's going to give us his peace. So you guys ready? Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here. There's three kinds of prayers we're going to look at. Prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. Prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. And there's a difference with all three of those kinds of prayers. And then we're going to look at the promise of God's peace. So the first way in which we fight against anxiety and worry in our life that we all face is this. We fight it with prayers of worship and adoration. Prayers of worship and adoration. That's what it says there. But in everything by prayer. And that word prayer, the first word there that the Apostle Paul uses there, prayer. It, it's the word, uh, the, 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 the word for prayer used here is the Greek word proshuke. Proshuke. Pro, and it, it means reverent prayer. It would be kind of the idea of the formal side of prayer. It's this reverence, it's this awe, it's this worship, it's this adoration. It's this sense of adoration and worship and awe over who God is, over his greatness, over his power, over his work in the world and in your life. You come and when you're anxious and when you're worried, you come, present yourself to the Lord and worship a God that is mighty. A God that is powerful. A God that is more than enough. The first position that we must find ourselves in when we're trying to fight against anxiety and worry, the first position we must find ourselves in when we're facing situations that bring anxiety is the position of reverence and awe over the greatness of God. He says, in everything with prayer, with reverent, awe-filled worship and adoration to a God that is mighty, that is powerful, that is great, that is, that is all-powerful in every situation. We come before him and we're overwhelmed and we worship that powerful God. We must have a vision of God and who he is and his power and his might. Far too often, our initial response to anxiety-causing circumstances is to see how great the problem is, but not to see how great our God is. Is that what you struggle with like I do? How many of you, you the first response, you, you get bad news, you get a situation that comes, you hear the news, and instantly, what do you see? You see the situation, and it looks so big. It's like, I, I, I don't know how. how. How are we going to fix it? How are we going to pay the bill? How is that person going to be healed? How am I going to get out of it? And what do we see? It's like it's all encompassing all around us. All we see and our head is down, right? Our head's down. We're looking here to the temporary, to here and now. And all we see is how big the situation is. I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. I don't know how I'm going to finish college. I don't know how my marriage is going to make it. I don't know how my kids are going to round the corner. I don't know how. And all we see in that moment is the situation and how insurmountable it looks. Can you relate to this? Yeah. That's where we are. That's where we live. That's what we deal with. But you know what we need to see? We need to see a vision of the greatness of God and his power and his majesty and his ability to do the impossible. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> okay, either you, guys are, either you guys are just really listening or you're tired, I don't know. But did you hear what I just said? 
Amen. Preach it, right? I'm going to keep preaching. We got to see the greatness of God. Look, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard because that's all we see. But this is the first step. It's the first step. And this is kind of like this path we got to walk on, these three types of prayers. Prayers of worship and adoration and, 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 and the next type of prayer and, and then the prayers of thanksgiving. It's, it's this path we got to walk in and this is the first position we must find ourselves in. When you feel like you're flat on your back and you don't know what to do and it looks overwhelming, you got to look up. you got to look up. Don't quit looking down at what won't work and how it can't be fixed and how there's no way forward. you got to look up at who God is and at his faithfulness. Has he been faithful to you? in your life. Well, you got to remember his faithfulness. We must see God's sovereign work in the world and in our life. He is working in ways that we cannot see and that we don't understand. That's what we forget when we are so overwhelmed with anxiety-causing situations. We forget that he has always been at work in our life. You know, there's times whenever I'm interacting with my children And I tell them something. All of us as parents, we all experience this, but we tell our kids something and they don't believe us. And they don't agree with us. Has that ever happened to you and your kids? They don't agree with you. Happens from time to time with my children. They don't agree with me. And I I might say something like this. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, I've been there. Trust me, I'm a lot older than you. Trust me, I've experienced a lot more than you. And I think from time to time, that's what we experience in our relationship with the Lord. We're going through things that cause anxiety and worry in our life. And it's like the Lord's looking down at us and he's wanting us to look up. Look up at me. Look up to the source of greatness and power and faithfulness and ability. Because I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. I have the ability. I, I, I'm, I'm at work when you don't think I'm working. I'm doing things when you can't see it. And that's what I want to tell my kids. I'm, I'm work. I look, I got it. It's going to be okay. And that's what our heavenly father wants to remind us. I've got it. I know more than you. I know more than you. I see more than you see. I see past what you can see. I see beyond what you can see. You see right now that this circumstance is going to affect this, this, and this. Well, the Lord is saying, I see beyond that. And what it's actually going to do in your life and through your life. Look up. Do you remember Job in the Bible, Job? Talk about anxiety-causing situations. Job lost his health, his wealth, His children lost it all. The only thing God left him was his wife who told him to curse God and die. That's what his wife said. Would you just curse God and die? Clearly, God's cursing you. He's taking all this stuff from you. And so Job, Job kind of begins to question. Kind of like I talked about our kids kind of question us and our wisdom and our knowledge. And, 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 he, and our kids begin to question whether we think we know what's going on. And Job begin to kind of question God. God, what's happening? What's going on? And you know what God has to do to us from time to time? He has to remind us that he knows more than us. And I love, listen to this. I love what God says to Job after Job dared to question what God was doing. Listen to this. Where were you, Job 38, where were you? Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? 
Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates and limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here you proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear, Job? Have you ever commanded the sun to rise, Job? And caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? To bring an end to the night's wickedness? What's the only proper response to the majesty and the power of God? It's awe. It's worship. God, that's all. I can't say anything, Lord. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I don't know all this stuff that's causing me anxiety and worry, Lord. I don't know how it will work out. But God, I'm not going to question your providence in my life, your sovereignty, your control in my life. I'm not going to question. I'm going to worship you and honor you because I know you're bigger than anything I could ever face. I know that you see it and you know it. And, and I don't know why it's, you've allowed it in my life, but I'm trusting you that you have more knowledge than I have. Isn't that what we believe, that God knows more than us? You know, you, you know what happens in our life is that we like to create a God of our own that's reduced down to human levels and understanding so we can, so, 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 because we like to worship that kind of God. We don't want to worship a God that doesn't make sense to us in the circumstances that we face. We want a God that, ma- that makes everything work out for us. But that's not God. And that's not what God has promised us in, in his word. Sometimes as Job, we've we got to put our hands over our mouth. And we've got to stop questioning. And we've got to lift our hands. And we've got to look up to a God who's bigger and powerful and knows more. That's the first position that we stand in. The God who laid the foundations of the earth can be trusted with the anxiety I have about my marriage. The God who laid the foundation of the earth can be trusted with the anxieties you have about your marriage. He can be trusted. The God who keeps the seas in its boundary can be trusted with the anxiety I have about my children. Some of you are so anxious about your children. You don't know where, what's going to happen with their life. They're making decisions you disagree with and that you know are not good for them. The God who set the boundaries for the seas and said you can go here but no more, he can be trusted with the anxiety you have over your children. The God who commands the morning to appear can be trusted with the anxiety you have about your finances. Some of you here today, you came in with heavy burdens in your shoulders about your finances. You have maybe lack of hours on your job or maybe you got pay, a pay cut or a demotion on your job. Maybe you lost your job. The God who told the sun to rise this morning can be trusted with the anxiety that you have about your finances. The God who causes the sun to set every afternoon can be trusted with the anxiety you have about your future. Some of you here today, you're worried about your future. You don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what your next step should be and you're anxious and you're worried about your future. Well, the God who causes the sun to set can be trusted with the plans for your future. So here's what we must do. We got to look up. We have to look up. Reverent Prayers in view of the greatness of God help set our spiritual equilibrium. Reverent prayers, awe-inspired prayers, prayers that are filled with awe and wonder and worship. Reverent prayers in view of the greatness of God help set our spiritual equilibrium. 
We pray about everything. We lift our eyes up. This is the first type of prayers. Paul says, in everything. He says, do not be anxious, but, but in everything, with prayers, with prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. And this is the first type of prayers that we, that we use to combat against anxiety in our life. It's a picture of God's greatness and his power. Amen? Amen. Pray about everything. Bring your petitions to a great and a powerful and sovereign God. Secondly, that next type of prayer, the second types of prayer that we need to bring is prayers of spiritual intensity. Prayers of spiritual intensity. What does it say there? But in everything by prayer, that the first prayer is, again, awe and reverence and worship for God. But then he says this, and supplication. What is supplication? How is it different than the word prayer? Well, the word, that, the, the idea of supplication, the, of course, the first idea of the, of the word prayer is awe and reverence and worship and, and adoration of God. But this word supplication gives the idea of spiritual intensity, of passion, of fervency, of pursuing with all of your heart. We need prayers of spiritual intensity. So we come submitted to a holy, mighty, powerful God. We worship him. And we are passionately pursuing him. We are persisting in prayer. We're not giving up. Have you ever felt like giving up in prayer? How many of you have just kind of me- mechanically gone through prayers in, in your life? And you just feel like, you know, I just, yeah, I'm so anxious about this. I don't know what to do, but I know I should pray. And I'm just kind of like saying my prayers, mechanically going through it. And there's no passion. There's no intensity. There's no commitment to perseverance in prayer, we so easily give up, don't we? We so easily give up in prayer. We throw in the towel because what happens is, is that, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes like when I pray, I want God to do it now. Don't you? Wouldn't it be nice? Like, God, God I want you to heal that person now. I want, you to, I want you to open that door for me now. I want that pay raise now. But what happens in our life? God doesn't move on our timetable. We bring our prayers. He doesn't move on our timetable. So what happens is, is that we just kind of give up. We lose the fervency. We lose the passion. We lose the intensity. And we just kind of step back. And that's when we fall into this cycle of anxiety and worry and, and stress. And, and, and we can't give up in prayer. We've got to keep looking up. We've got to keep pursuing in prayer. James 5.16 says this. Confess your trespasses to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect of what? fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's a fervency. There's a passion. When's the last time you passionately prayed before the Lord? Poured out your heart to him in prayer. Cried before the Lord by yourself. You're crying. You're weeping. You're pouring out your heart. You're saying, Lord, I need your help. I'm desperate for your help. Passionate, fervent prayer. You remember our Lord's prayer? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane he goes to the garden. He's about to experience the worst kind of suffering that he had ever experienced in his life, about to be rejected and beaten and, 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 and taken to the cross and experience the separation between him and his father because of the sins of the world that were going to be laid on his shoulders. So he's feeling the pressure. Talk about anxiety causing situations, right? There's Jesus in the garden, and he has his disciples with him, and he says, I want you to, to, to linger, to persevere in prayer with me for a little while. We need to pray. The enemy's here to tempt. I, I, I need you to pray. Pray with me. Pray. And he steps aside by himself, and he prays. And what happens to Jesus? 
He's so passionate and fervent in his prayer to the Father. It says that he began to sweat, but his sweats were mixed with blood. Have you ever prayed like that? I haven't. You haven't. None of us have. But it's a picture of fervency in prayer. But where, what do we, where do we fall? We're those disciples passed out on the, on, the, on the base of the tree in the garden. Laying on each other's shoulders, sleeping. That's what's what happened to the, to the disciples. He said, he, said, he says, wait and pray and tarry with me. And they couldn't even wait. He turned and looked at him and said, you couldn't wait. You couldn't tarry for a little while with me in prayer. That's where we go because it's so easy for us to lose our passion and our intensity in prayer. Passionate, fervent prayer. You know, there's a parable that Jesus told about a woman. This is a parable. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a made-up story to, to, to prove a point. And he wants to talk about prayer. And I just want to read this short little parable here. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to, to show them, to teach them, that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me, in, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. No, Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Keep praying. Keep persevering like this woman in this story. Keep persevering. Keep coming. Be fervent. Be passionate. Come before a God with reverence and awe over his majesty and his power. And don't quit knocking. Don't quit seeking. Come with passion. Come with intensity. Come with fervor. Amen? Why do we struggle to persist in prayer? Why do you think? We struggle to persist in prayer like this woman and like I'm encouraging all of us to, to do. Why, why do we struggle? I believe it's because we can trick ourselves into believing that we don't need the Lord. That's what happens. We trick ourselves. Oh, I got this one. I can, I can maneuver this. I can move this piece. I can move this here or there and I can make it work. And we don't go to the Lord in prayer. We don't seek the Lord. We don't passionately pursue and with fervent prayer for the Lord's wisdom, for his intervention, because I've got it under control. That's what happens. We can trick ourselves into believing that we don't need the Lord. This mindset comes from a wrong perspective about our own abilities and the true source of those abilities. When you don't realize that God is the one that gives you all good things in your life, when you don't realize that God is the one who gives you the wisdom and the intellect and the energy and the strength to do everything that you do, when we forget that, that's whenever we move back in prayer and we we shrink back in prayer. We don't persist in prayer because we think we can do it on our own. That's why we quit praying. Psalms 124 says this, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. 
Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If it had not been for the Lord, you fill in the blank. If it had not been for the Lord, fill in the blank in your life. And I think on your handout, if you flip your handout over for the notes, is, is it there? Right there. That's what you need to do today, this afternoon. Go home. If it had not been for the Lord, fill in that blank. Fill in those blanks. Where would you be without the Lord? When we forget where we would have been without the Lord, this is when we forget that prayer is necessary. When we forget where we would have been without the Lord, this is when we get into a place of complacency in prayer where we quit persisting like this widow for justice. We quit being fervent in our prayer. We give up on prayer because we feel like we can handle it on our own. We must remember, if it had not been for the Lord, where would I have been? Well, I'll tell you where I would have been. I would be pursuing my own selfish, sinful desires if it had not been for the Lord. That's what I'd have been doing. I would be living under the consequences and the guilt of my sin. I would, have, I would not be married to a wonderful, godly woman. Why? Because I would have been pursuing sin and unrighteousness and ungodly things. But it had not been for the Lord who, who saved me, who redeemed me, who forgave me, I would have not had eyes to look for something, for a woman that was godly and pursued the Lord. That's where I, I would have not found the woman that God had for me. I would not be married to a wonderful, godly woman. I would not have the privilege of raising four amazing children. I would not have godly relationships within the body of Christ. Think about that. You wouldn't be here connected with brothers and sisters in Christ if it had not been for the Lord on your side, in your life. If it had not been for the Lord, I would not be able to preach God's eternal word. I wouldn't be able to. I know for a fact I would not be able to preach God's word if it had not been for the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord in my life, I would not have the sacred honor of shepherding God's people. If it had not been for him. To this day, this moment, this morning, walking up to this pulpit, I've had my head bowed and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, how did I become pastor of this church and shepherd of your people? I don't know how that happens. Only God, if it had not been for the Lord. It's only the Lord. When we realize how much we are dependent on God's work in our life, it fuels our passion in prayer. When we realize how much we are dependent on God's work in our life, it fuels our passion in prayer. So how do we combat anxiety and worry in our life? With prayers of adoration and worship over the greatness of of God and his ability to do the impossible. And how do we combat anxiety and worry in our life? We don't give up. In prayer, we persist in prayer. We with supplications, we must see God for who He is and His greatness and power and His faithfulness. And that vision must fuel our commitment to passionately pray about everything. Amen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayers and supplications. And then, thirdly, what's the third kind of prayer? With thanksgiving, and that's our third point here: prayers of thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So why is it important for us to have a thankful heart in prayer or in general? Why is it important for us to have a thankful heart? I've got three things I want to say about that. First one is this, because it brings honor to God. 
Thankfulness brings honor to God. This is so important in prayer. This is going to help us battle anxiety and worry in our life. Thanksgiving, being thankful to the Lord, will help us with our anxiety and our worry. And here's what it does. When we're thankful in prayer, it brings honor to God. Do you remember the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers? And, and, and only one came back and gave thanks. Listen to what it says in Luke 17. Then one of them, one of the, the, the ten lepers that was healed by Jesus, Luke 17, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back. And what did he do? Praising God with a loud voice. Sounds like passionate worship and prayer, doesn't it? Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed or healed. Where are the, where, where are the, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Thanksgiving, it brings honor to God. When we come with a thankful heart in prayer, it honors the Lord when we walk and we thank him for what he's done. Thank God that you're married to a godly spouse. Thank the Lord that you have children that you're able to raise and love on. Thank God for your job. Thank God for your friends. Thank God, we are called to thank God for all of his blessings in our life. Why? Because it brings honor to the Lord and it helps us combat anxiety in our life. The second reason why we need to have a thankful heart is because thankfulness rearranges our priorities in prayer. When you're thankful, it rearranges what you pray about. Do you agree with that? Far too often we are anxious about things because of a misplaced perspective about what matters most. So we're, we're praying about all kinds of things that we think we need and want in this life and they're misplaced priorities so we're getting anxious about things that we have no business being anxious over. Have you experienced that? First Timothy says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. How many of you have the new iPhone 11? Nobody? Like, how many have the iPhone 11? Okay. How many have the iPhone 11 Pro? I got a couple more there. How many of you have the iPhone 11 Pro Max? So none of y'all are up for an upgrade yet? Is that what's going on here? How many of you want the iPhone 11 Pro Max? Y'all have some... Do I need to preach on lying? Is this what needs to happen here? Okay, how many of you want the iPhone 11 Pro Max? Let's just slip a little bit, nod your head. Okay, get a few people. So, you know, I, I, I heard that the iPhone 11 Pro Max, you know, there's three cameras on it. Let's look at the picture here. Three cameras. You know what the cameras are for? One's cameras for the, for the FBI. <laughs> one's for the CIA. And one's for the NSA. <laughs> Not true, but you never know, do you? <laughs> but you know, my phone is great. And you've heard someone talk about this type of story here. But you know, my, my iPhone's great. It's kind of cracked right now. And I would like a new phone, but my screen's cracked. But but here's what, here's, what, here's what happens. You know, everything about my phone works to the capacity that I need it to work to, right? But what happens in, the, in our life when we live in this world today, we're constantly bombarded by images and ideas about what we need because of what that will do to make our life better. That if I have the new iPhone 11 Pro Max, I'm going to take pictures so good that I can start my own business. <laughs> I can become a professional photographer. 
or my Instagram photos are just going to be out of this world because I have that camera now. And so you, we get advertised to with all these different things that we think are going to make our life better. And, and that just is, you know, that's not even just this idea of this silly idea about an iPhone. But that could be any area of our life. And so what happens is, is we begin to develop misplaced priorities in our life. And we're praying about things we should never be praying about. Godliness with contentment is great gain. A thankful heart, it narrows our focus because a thankful heart changes our perspective about what matters most in our prayer life. And we quit praying for things that we don't need. A thankful heart helps us zoom in to the right prayer focus. Amen? That's why we need a thankful heart. That helps us fight anxiety. Some of you are worried about not having things. You have no business worrying about not having. If God wants to bring something into your life, he can bring it. Look, and I'm not talking that it's bad to have things that we like and that things that are good. I'm not saying that. It's okay to have an iPhone 11 Pro Max if you want one, if you can afford it, right? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that we can't have misplaced priorities that get us into discontentment, that cause us to pray about things that we don't need to pray about. With food and clothing, these we should be content. With God's provision in our life, we should be content. What's another reason why a thankful heart's important for us? Because a thankful heart changes our perspective when we suffer. A thankful heart changes our perspective when we suffer. I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine here at church. And he doesn't know I'm about to tell this story. His name is Rick, Rick Mills. I was cooking a gumbo yesterday because I'm cook, cooking a gumbo for the Cajun cook-off. I'll be out there in my tent with a gumbo. And please don't vote for me. Don't give me sympathy votes. Please. If you don't like my gumbo, don't put anything in it just because I'm your pastor. I don't want to win and it doesn't really mean anything. Because that's what everyone's going to say. If I win, people are going to say, well, he just won because he's a pastor. People put, don't do that. I think my gumbo's great, but you may not. I'm cooking my gumbo yesterday because I wanted to, I couldn't cook right now and preach. So I cooked it the day before. I'm stirring my onions and my sausages and everything. And Brother Rick Mills comes up and we're just talking, chatting about his life. And, and so many of you know Brother Rick and you know that he has Parkinson's and it's not something that he hides, but it's something that, you know, he's, he's embraced. And so I was asking him about that. When was he diagnosed? And I think he's 61 years old and he was diagnosed when he was 55. And so I said, you know, just asking you, well, how was that? How did you respond? And if you know anything about Rick, you know this, is that he sees the bright side. He sees the bright side. And I just love what he said here. So I'm quoting Rick Mills. And, and Rick, if I'm getting this wrong, forgive me, but that, this is what I think he said here. When I asked him about his Parkinson's and how he's learned to handle it, he said this, I'd rather be shaking while I eat and drink than forget where I left it. <laughs> and that just really touched my heart. And it really moved me as I was stirring. And he didn't know that it touched my heart like that. But he could have a totally different perspective. But a thankful heart helps us to see our circumstances different when we suffer. We look at it differently. We know that Romans 8 is true, that all things work together for the good of those that love him. I, look, is Parkinson's good? No, it's bad. It's not good. It's a, it's a result of the curse. That's where all sickness comes from. It's a result of the fact that we live in a broken world and a broken body and we're all decaying. We're all dying. Welcome to church. <laughs> That's the reality. 
But when we have a thankful heart, we realize that nothing that we experience is beyond God's hand in our life. That if he has allowed that into my life, I have to say, Lord, you're in charge, I'm not. This is that first position of prayer. You see his greatness, you see his power, you see that he's in control and not myself. And, you, and you're thankful. You can have a thankful perspective when you suffer. It changes your priorities in prayer. And, and, and also, here's what happens when we suffer. God is at work in us. And, 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 and you think, God, well, couldn't you just teach me a lesson a different way? Couldn't you work in me a different way? I pray that sometimes when I'm going through difficult circumstances. But God's God and I'm not. Sometimes the greatest lessons, I would say all the time, the greatest lessons we learn are when we suffer. That's been my experience. First Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, just a little while, that means life is short. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's the promise, Amen. We must combat anxiety and worry with prayers towards the great God who's holy, who's faithful, who's sovereign, who's in control, who's all-powerful. We must look up, not look down. And we must persist in prayer with a thankful heart towards the Lord. And now what's the promise? If we will, if we will, if we will persist in prayer and worship a holy, sovereign God and we will be thankful in our prayers, what's the promise? The promise, verse four, the peace of God, point four, the peace of God will be our guardian. The peace of God will be our guardian. That's what verse seven says in Philippians four, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the promise. If we will persist in prayer with a thankful heart to a God that is able, the peace of God will be available to us. And here's what I want to tell you. There's a difference between the pe- being at peace with God and having the peace of God. It's a huge difference. Being at peace with God means this. That if you're here today and you've not made peace with God, you've not been made right before him, you're living under the weight of your sin and your guilt in your life and you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, you are not at peace with God. There's hostility between you and God. And you may say, well, I'm not hostile towards God. But here's the truth of scripture of the gospel. Is that whether you know you're at, you're at hostility with God, You are if you've not surrendered to his son, Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to be in a right relationship with God. The only one way to have peace with God, and that's through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And all those who are at peace with God, now we have access to the peace of God. And one of the ways we access the peace of God is through prayer. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The peace of God will be our guardian. And this peace, this is so powerful. Two thoughts here about this peace. First of all, this peace surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It means that, 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 that when it doesn't make sense, we can have peace. It means that whenever it looks all around us like we should have no peace, we should be worried and, and, and anxious and, and, and we should be losing our minds. But we can be at peace. You know, like pictures you've seen of a little bird in the middle of a storm. There's a storm brewing all around it, but the bird's there just at peace, whistling in the wind. We can be like that little bird in the middle of of the storm. We're at peace because a peace 
The peace of God is not contingent upon the circumstances around about us. The peace of God is in our heart. We're settled here. And what does the world tell you? How does the world tell you to find peace? It says you've got to look inward for your peace. Find your inner peace. Look inward. That's where your peace is going to be found. The Lord says look up. That's where your peace is going to find. If you will look up, the peace will come in. Do you follow me? Look up and you'll have peace within. God says, I have inner peace available to you, but you must look up. Peace in the middle of the storm. Peace in the middle of the trial. Do you remember Paul and Silas? This is the Apostle Paul writing in Philippians. Do you remember Paul and Silas? They, 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 they kind of flustered some feathers of some people. And they get arrested and thrown in prison in Acts 16. They're doing the works of God. And they get thrown into prison. And listen to what happens here. They got beaten. They got flogged. They got thrown in jail. Acts 16, listen to this. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Like that little bird in the middle of the storm, praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Of course they were. They're like, what in the world is going on here? You have cancer, but you're thanking God for what he's done in your life. You lost your job and you have peace. You've gone through this trial and you still love the Lord. I thought God was just there to meet all of your needs and make you happy. How can you have peace? Like Paul and Silas can have peace. Because peace had nothing to do with the fact that they were just beaten with rods. Peace had nothing to do with the fact that their legs and their feet were, were in stocks and, or that they were in jail. They had a peace that surpassed all understanding. And so they, what, what could they do at midnight? They could pray. And they could sing hymns. You know, you're not singing if, if, if you're so overwhelmed with your circumstances that you don't know what to do. You're singing because you got something on the inside that's greater than what's on the outside. About midnight, they began singing, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The real challenge of the Christian life is not to try and eliminate every anxiety-causing situation, but rather trusting in the faithful, infinite, holy, sovereign, and all-powerful God in the middle of the anxiety. The peace of God will be with you because it surpasses all understanding and what's the next part of the promise that that peace the next section there says it will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus so you'll have a peace inward that surpasses what is outside of you and then that peace also will guard your hearts your minds and your hearts in christ jesus what does that mean it's a military term it's a military term. The word guard is a military term. So God will be like a guardian in your life, protecting your thoughts in your mind and how they impact your heart. Your hearts and mind, they represent the innermost part of who you are. God's peace will be the guardian of your inner thoughts. Whenever, you, whenever you're pursuing him in prayer and you're going after, you're, you're depending on him, you're leaning on him and not your own understanding. Do you remember the story of Daniel? He's a good representation of this. Daniel worshiped the Lord, the one true God. 
And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was approached by some of his spiritual leaders and advisors. And they came to him because they didn't like Daniel. And they came to the king and they said, King, you need to make a rule that nobody will pray to anybody, any other God except you alone. And that if they pray to any other God, that they need to be thrown into the lion's den. And they need to be killed. And the king, in his pride, said, that sounds like a good idea. Kill everybody who doesn't pray to me. Sign the petition. So they sign it. As soon as they sign it, he makes it, makes a decree, makes it into law. They go and they look for Daniel. And where was Daniel? He was faithful. Listen to it here. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed, gave thanks, as he'd always done. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea. All three. Prayers, thanks, and petition. Just what we see in Philippians 4. He was bringing them. Now listen to this. They arrested him, brought him before the king. King said, oh no, it's not you, Daniel. They trapped me. They've hooked me. I've made the decree. I can't undo the decree. And listen to who, who, who didn't have peace. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him no peace for the king but who had peace verse 22 and 23 this is what daniel said after god rescued him my god sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because i was found blameless before him i have done no harm and the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that daniel be taken out of the den so daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was brought was found on him because he had trusted in his god he had a peace in the middle of the storm. He had a peace. The king had no peace. But Daniel had peace. Because he was seeking the Lord. Trusting in his God. Isaiah 26 says. You keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Amen. So I know many of you here today. You have anxieties and worries. And struggles in your life. And I just want to encourage you. That the way to combat anxiety and worry. According to what we see in Philippians 4. Is to pray. At all times, in all circumstances. Don't give up. Don't give up in prayer. Don't, 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 don't stop praying when, even when you don't see the circumstances change. The circumstances not changing is not a reason to quit praying. It's not a reason to think, well, well maybe God's not going to do that. Or, or, or if, look, God will get the message to you if, if, if your prayers are not what he wants for you. God's big enough to do that. You just keep seeking him in prayer. And clothe your life and your mind with a thankful heart. Be thankful for what you have, for what God has done in you and through you. Let thanksgiving narrow your focus in prayer and, and, and narrow your priorities in prayer. And realize that even, even when situations aren't the way they need to be, that God still is at work in your life. Amen? I love 1 Peter 5, 6-7. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The Lord cares for you here today. He loves you. He cares for you. He cares about every detail of your life, all of it. Every situation you face, there's nothing too big or too small. He cares about you. And because he loves you and cares about you, that's why you cast all of your anxieties on him. What does it mean to cast all your anxieties on him? You ever had to put a saddle on a horse? 
Anybody? That's what it means. What do you got to do when you put that saddle on that horse? You can't be like haphazard about it. That thing's heavy. And the horse is up here. You got you to throw it. You got to cast it. So here's what I want to tell you today. If you're anxious and you're worried about situations in your life, you need to know that the Lord cares for you. And then you need to take all those anxieties, all of them, all the different anxieties of your life, wherever they are, you need to bring them all together in one big heap. And you need to say, Lord, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of striving. My own strength. You take them all together. And you need to go to the Lord in prayer. See him for who he is, for his greatness, for his majesty, for his power. You need to pray with passion in your heart. Have a thankful heart, but take all those anxieties and just throw them onto the Lord. Say, God, I am letting go of all of this because I can't control it and I can't fix it and I can't make it work and I can't change it. Throw it all over onto him. Amen? Because he loves you. He cares for you. He's got a plan. Stand to your feet with me as we close in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. God, I pray for all of us here today. For all of us. I pray for all of us, Lord. We all are anxious about something in our life. We all have worries or doubts and fears and things that trouble us. We don't know how to get out of the certain situations that we face. Lord, we know what to do today. We know what we're to do. We're to go before you in prayer. We're to persist in prayer. We're to come with thankful hearts. And we're to see you for who you are. We're to recognize that you're powerful and that you're able. And when it looks like there's no way out, there is a way that you are still at work. When it looks like you've left us, God, you're not. You're there because you care for us. God, I pray for all those who are overwhelmed today. I pray that their burdens would be lifted and that they would look up, not look down, look up to a God that is mighty and powerful and that loves them. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next week.